Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Out of the blue, it is Sunday, the first of July, first day of plastic-free July, and I am up for the challenge. <laughs> I'm Donna, and I'm joined in the studio by my panelist Matt. Good morning, Donna. Today we've got a really awesome interview for you all. Um, we're interviewing Professor Edward or Ted J. Steele, an immunologist and biomedical scientist. Um, all about um, the cause of the Cambrian explosion, terrestrial or cosmic, an article um, he's co-authored, co-written recently in press. We're going to be back right after this with Professor Ted um, and the show. You're on 855 AM 3CR. our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 9419-8377. Or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. You're tuned to 855 AM 3CR Community Radio. We've got Professor Edward Ted J. Steele on the phone. Hi, Ted. How are you? Good morning, Donna. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, I'll just do a bit of a, an intro um, for our listeners. So, uh, Ted, is that all right if I call you that? Yep. <laughs> Great. So, um, Ted grew up in Darwin, Northern Territory, um, gained his PhD from the University of Adelaide in 1976 for research on secretory IgA antibodies and intestinal immunity to cholera. Since then, he's worked at a number of institutes and universities in Canada, UK and Australia, and his main research theme and life's work has been the nuclear molecule, molecular sorry, molecular mechanisms <laughs> of the somatic and germline evolution of antibody variable genes for which he received the RD Pansy Wright Medal 
um, from the University of Melbourne in 2009. He's published almost 100 papers and has also published or edited several books and he's an honorary professorial associate with the Centre for Astrobiology, University of Rahuna Matara in Sri Lanka. So very impressive uh, bio. And he's also, Professor Ted has also been um, instrumental and part of the movement around the theory of cosmic panspermia, which is the origin and further patterns of the evolution of life on Earth which is uh, best explained by a cosmic biology paradigm that by now the now dated neo-Darwinian terrestrial-based theory of evolution. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> well done, Donna. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's set the scene a bit. So for our listeners, um, if you could just go over really quickly for us, we just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the differences between Darwinism or neo-Darwinism, Lamarckism and cosmic panspermia. We're just going to do a really a, a refresh of uh, evolution and biology 101 for our listeners. So if you could just give us a... Will there be an exam a... at the end of this? <laughs> no, no exam. No exams, okay. But Ted, if you could just yeah, help okay. our listeners understand the difference between those uh, three um, theories, that would be great. Okay, well, the first theory is separate from the last two because the Lamarckian theory actually fits into the cosmic panspermia. But the conventional theory, the Darwinian theory, is that life began from uh, inorganic uh, material, uh, uh, presto, in a warm little pond probably four billion years ago on Earth. And then it evolved through its, all its successive stages through bacteria, through simple cells, through complex cells, through um, smaller uh, insects, through animals, through plants, right through to the mammals to what we see today. <clears throat> that's, the, that's the conventional theory and the mechanism is basically a mechanism based on random mutation and natural selection. Now, there's always been a lot of op opposition to the theory because there are so many, there are so many inconsistencies with what you actually observe out there in the fossil record, and in the way life changes and the complexity of the genetics. The Lamarckian theory uh, was actually, uh, which, which Darwin himself um, advocated. Uh, discusses the fact that organisms, whether they be cells or complex uh, organisms such as animals, uh, as they rub up against the, the environment and change uh, adaptively in that, uh, in that new environment, they transmit some of that change genetically to their offspring. So that's the inheritance of acquired characters. Pan panspermia, though, is the overarching theory, in my view, for life on Earth. Uh, and there's so much evidence for it now, and that's why I got involved in helping to bring this whole vision into the biomedical sphere of the published scientific literature. Panspermia uh, is basically that life began in the universe somewhere, certainly not on Earth, probably many billions, years, billions of years ago, and has permeated the universe. And life was, in, was seeded here on Earth from, from when it was first possible for life to flourish about four billion years ago, and has been successively seeded throughout the last four and a half, uh, the, the last four billion years of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the record of life on Earth. 
and uh, during that during that time, there's certainly been evolution going on on Earth itself. That is, there's been progression and change and selection, and there's been Darwinian processes. There's no doubt about that. But at critical at critical times, there have been infalls from space. The Cambrian explosion was probably the biggest. But there have been uh, that. That is, that was the that was the signature event 500 million years ago when all the current life plans of com- of animals and plants and all the all of the all the complex features of complex living systems that we have on Earth today. That's when they all started to appear and uh, and by what was called adaptive radiation and it wasn't it's literally an explosion if if one looks at all the evolutionary stories in the fossil record going back to that point about 550 million million years ago it ends in a question <coughs> because so many species emerged suddenly that it looked like an explosion well from the panspermia point of view it literally was an explosion it uh, a planet or a planet object with many different living systems impacted on Earth about that time, either fragmented before impacting, but certainly seeded all the di- those diverse life forms 500 million years ago. But it wasn't the only big event that took place. Uh, there was another event, uh, something like 300 million years ago, than the, and certainly the, the most popular one, 65 million years ago, when the dinosaurs were taken out and... There was another huge adaptive radiation where, which, which gave rise to the mammals and then all the lineages that lead to mankind today. So in a nutshell, that's the, that's, they're the major contesting views, that the panspermia, that life has come from the universe and it, it's already evolved by Darwinian and Lamarckian mechanisms hundreds, billions of years ago, already uh, elsewhere in our galaxy and maybe even beyond our galaxy. So just to be just to be clear, yeah. um, the terminology "seeded" may to some imply almost an intent, but these are processes, cosmological processes that are, are Sorry, well described, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, no, no, look, that's just a word. Yeah, yeah. These are cosmological seeding processes. I'm not saying intent, but I should point out that very respectable uh, scientists, such as Francis Crick, who with James Watson discovered the structure of DNA, have seriously speculated that life on Earth was seeded deliberately by a super-intelligent uh, civilization, And he, and he speculated that because the genetic code is, is so complex and so non-random, yet so universal, that is from the simplest virus and bacterium to the complex human beings, the same code is used, he, he considered that evidence for a cosmic source, but deliberate seeding. Now, look, I, I myself, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know whether it was deliberate seeding. I don't know whether the universe is infinite or it started with a big bang. But it did. Life began well before the Earth emerged. So we're looking at many, many billions of years ago. I don't know when it evolved, but it's certainly the processes are probably almost certainly Darwinian and Lamarckian. And they've they've produced diverse ecosystems throughout the cosmos, to, the, to to a critical conclusion that I've come to, and all the other people that have looked at the evidence that's come to that every single star out there in our galaxy, there are 200 million of them. Sorry, 200 billion of them. Each one of them has an orbiting ecosystem around them. Now, whether they've whether they've that is through moons, planets, and comets, 
whether they've matured through to a super intelligent civilization like our own is another matter. But mm. certainly life in all its varied forms, viruses, bacteria, cells, and all sorts of complex uh, creatures that we can talk about later, that, that's, that evolved before the <coughs> planetary system evolved on Earth. Mm. And, we've, and, and life's been seeded here successively over the, over the last four, four billion years. So there's, there's definite evidence that um, this kind of process is in place. For example, we can um, detect uh, meteorites that uh, appear consistent with originating from Mars, for example. Um, is there any evidence that we have sort of interstellar uh, impacts, so that, you know, from other star systems? Uh, well, not that I'm... Nothing really concrete except the, the comets and these... Uh, uh, the, the, the cometary sphere around the Earth and the Oort cloud, the speculation is very strong, is that that is the interface for our solar system with all the other star systems where it, comets are, ex are exchanged at that level. As a, a star system passes, comets get dislodged and then get trapped in another a star system, and that, that, that creates the sphere. But that's, 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 that's just the, the physical spe speculation. The short answer is no, but let me just say this. Those meteorites, all of the carbonaceous meteorites that have been characterised carefully, where contamination has been ruled out, all of them, and by carbonaceous, the, the name is the giveaway. That is, they, well, they're not completely all carbon in these stones and these uh, sandy rocks. They certainly contain a lot of carbon, and that's the that's the that's the leftover trace of the, the living systems that were originally in the comets and fragmented to give you these uh, meteorites. However, these meteorites, all of them that have been discovered over the last 200 or 150 years, all of them contain fossilised bacterial structures that we can identify with structures on Earth, and all of them contain uh, what are called ac acritarch carbon shelled structures that date uh, uh, which which are also similarly found in the early 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 fossils on earth but the critical thing about all these carbonaceous meteor meteorites is that they're all standardly dated to greater than 4.5 billion years old so they're older than the earth <laughs> that's that is the key thing about the carbonaceous uh, the carbonaceous meteorites and their and their fossils these eukaryotic complex living systems have existed well before the Earth came into existence, as we know it. So I, I take that as a very important bit of that's that strong evidence. The other one, of course, is the interstellar dust. If you do spectral analysis of the interstellar dust to the centre of our galaxy, it's, uh, it has the signature, a very complex signature of living systems written all over it. Ted, in your article, and I think that leads on to one of my next questions, you mentioned the article for listeners goes through a range of different points, yep. um, evidence points towards this uh, cosmic um, cosmic panspermia and evolution of life on Earth from yep. that. Um, and one of the one things <coughs> I mentioned, uh, read in your article was about um, Drosophila, the fruit fly, and how it has uh, their eyes are... Um, they have uh, they've adapted to um, block out light that we don't actually get here on Earth or rays that we don't get here on Earth, which 
was quite astounding to me yes. that species here have evolved to things that they've never actually had exposure to here on Earth, and that was quite, I guess, compelling for me. Can you speak any more yes. to that? Yes, I can speak Thanks. more to that. And, and you're right. Those sorts of evidences, which I first read about 25 years ago from the Hoyle, uh, Rick Sammy, you know, a set of books and papers, that sort of evidence convinced me that there was something fundamentally wrong with the current view. Yeah, that Drosophila, or the fruit fly, is that they, they seem to react in a strange way to the, uh, a particular type of wavelength, which we don't get here on Earth, but it's out there in space. It's a very common wavelength. But that sort of space features of organisms, and I'll use it in very general terms, crops up in so many living living systems. You know, one of the reasons we, 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 we talked about the minute creatures, the tardigrades, in the paper, they're like little... They're, they're amazing. Yeah, they're yeah, amazing. Incredible, but, uh, incredible yeah, and they species. have a range of adaptive features that just didn't have never existed on Earth. It doesn't matter. All of the all of the you know the complaints of critics. Like, you know, you can't say that because I've actually gone through that with some critics. But the fact is, all of those all of those features, extreme temperatures, extreme that is at at the, you know to absolute zero. To, to just above absolute zero to very, to, you know, to 200 degrees or, you know, very, very high temperatures, extreme pressures, which just don't exist on Earth, uh, desiccation, radiation resistance, there's a whole gamut of properties of these little uh, tardigrades. They're, they're animals, you know, they're eukaryotic animals, but they're microscopic. They're less than a metre in uh, diameter or in length. Hmm. Those features just don't exist in them, but they, but you know, that's part of the space habitat. They they exist in yes. space. <clears throat> and one of the other um, things in your article that stood out, and, and probably why I, I contacted you in the first place to get you on the show, was the evolution of intelligent complexity, which is one of the um, yeah sections of of your paper and. Um, the genetic divergence of the octopus from its um, ancestral subclasses and how, yes. where did that even come from? Like the octopus just seems to kind of come out of nowhere in the evolutionary record and evolutionary history and it's um, noted as being highly inconsistent and confusing and, um, yeah, I guess I just kind of wanted to know a bit more about yes. where that um, the octopus and the evolution of that kind of that came from in your view yes and that's where a lot of the you know the, the popular media latched on that straight yeah. <laughs> uh, straight away but uh, the octopus is incredibly interesting that's why the researchers working on it and who reported on the the rna editing phenomenon of the octopus uh, that's why the you know, they reported it, but they don't go as far as we do. Quite rightly, they're just sticking to the evidence. They're just reporting this incredibly strange fact about the, op uh, the octopus. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it will take me a while to fully explain to the, to the listeners, but the RNA editing phenomenon is, is literally out of this world. So let me just leave you, leave you at that. <laughs> but, 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 but what you just described about the evolution, the, you know, the standard evolutionary history and, and the picture, how we, how we understand it, is perfectly correct. We don't understand it. Mm. Uh, the argument runs something like this, that the, the, the precursor from which the octopus should have evolved from, the nautilus, the nautilus, appeared in the Cambrian period about 550 million years ago. Yet our best estimates of when the octopus and its related squids appeared on Earth 
was 275 million years ago. So there's a there's a 250 million year gap where there are literally no stepping stones from the Nautilus to the Octopus. The Nautilus is a just a dumb floating feeder. You know, compared with the Octopus, <laughs> it's, it's dumb. But the Octopus, you know, you read you read some of the really good books that have appeared in the last few years on the Octopus describing mm-hmm. its behaviour. And looking at the films, it's just quite amazing. And that's why we react the way we do. When we look into their eyes, yeah. we sort of see ourselves. We think, gee, we're looking at something really, really intelligent here. So that's the reason, you know, this huge gap, this 250 million year gap, but there were literally no stepping stones. Hmm. The strange RNA editing phenotype or genotype of the octopus, which is literally, there's no, there's no precedent at the moment in any other animal from earthworms through to humans, and radiating out. That doesn't mean to say, I should point out, that doesn't mean to say we may not find one because we keep getting shocked in biology when we start looking at non-model organisms. You know, by, by model organisms, model organisms, I mean E. coli bacteria, which the biotechnology industry is built on, and then through Drosophila, and then through you know, humans, of course, a major model organism. But the octopus, uh, this RNA editing phenomenon, that, that doesn't exist in any other known species that's been looked at. That doesn't mean to say we won't find it, but it's certainly at the moment it's a huge challenge mm. to, our, to our thinking. And I guess like a, you know, if I put my devil's advocate yeah. neo-Darwinism hat on, that would kind of be the argument that we don't know if there's an extinct yet undiscovered yes. aquatic or terrestrial be, ancestor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's perfectly, you know, legitimate uh, rejoinder to this. Mm. But but the trouble is, these sorts of phenomena of you know sudden appearance in the in the fossil record are not just restricted to octopus. There are so many species that have this feature about them; they just suddenly pop up. Yeah. So what what does all this mean for science and for evolution and even so far as the management of like so-called invasive species? Because if you know if we do um, kind of go down the path, if science itself evolved to accept cosmic panspermia as, yes. um, you know, the new norm and the way things, you know, to explain the origins of life, etc., how does, you know, the science world even begin to cope with that? Well, you're <laughs> right, uh, because even people like myself are still trying to cope with it. Yeah. Uh, because it's such an awesome... Uh, scientific revolution it's really the second copernican revolution the first one was that the earth wasn't the center of the universe and the second one now is that life came from from the universe it didn't originate yet and it, it is a huge the implications are huge the immediate practical ones um cometary bombardment and bollard bombardment we've got to keep an eye out for that because the whole history of the earth has been a history of bombardment from the cosmos so, and NASA is clearly working on that. You read the news stories every day. They're trying to predict, you know, the next as- asteroid impact. And they're trying to get early, early warning. So we need that. The other, the other, the other, th- the other practical thing is the you know, the infall of organisms from space, bacteria and viruses, which is ongoing. If one, one looks at the evidence, just impartially looks at the evidence, not with emotion, just impartially looks at it. It's ongoing. You know, the latest discovery that the space station dust is covered in bacteria. Uh, that we can detect here in the ocean and uh, terrestrial uh, habitats, but couldn't have possibly got there by uplifting from the Earth. That evidence is part of that. Now, that's that's controversial simply because it's new, 
And no doubt over the next 10 years, as more and more space scientists visit the space station, they'll be quietly trying to check this Russian discovery to see whether it's true. I have no doubt that Russian discovery is true. I think future space missions to the space station will, will, will confirm that data. Anyway, uh, so they're the main ones. Uh, commentary and bollard impacts and disease impacts uh, from space. Uh, the biggest one in living memory was the 1918-1919 flu pandemic. Mm. Uh, that was an incredibly strange pandemic. Uh, everybody that studied the details of it wants to believe it happened through a slow-burning fuse here on Earth from but there are so many strange features about it. I, I, I defy anyone to look at all the data and say, yeah, that looks like a normal Earth-originated Earth, uh, epidemic. Uh, I just don't... I simply can't... I can't, uh, you know, take that on board. I've, I've looked at all the evidence for the 1918-1919 flu pandemic and it looks like a huge space impact to me. Fascinating. And, I mean, if we want to be able to then deal with pandemics like that, I feel like acceptance that it isn't something that's evolved on Earth might be the first step that's before first step, we can develop, I don't know, vaccinations, treatments, um, you know, understanding how to deal with things like this. Absolutely. Look, you've, that's, you've got to change your perspective and it means early, early warning systems can be set up with our, you know, our network of satellites that we already have now orbiting the Earth. We could have, we could have DNA sequences, automatic DNA sequences and, and life sensing and virus and bacterial sensing equipment in all of our orbiting uh, satellites and we could, have a, we could have a really robust, within, you know, in my mind, within 10 years, a really robust what's called a Hoyle shield around the Earth where we're detecting early, early early inputs before they start hitting the lower levels of the atmosphere, you know, because that that takes a couple of couple of years. They don't come down suddenly; they sort of float down through the various stages. So, um, yeah, hmm. I think the change of the mindset's the first one. The second one was that we've already got the infrastructure in place, or we know how to put it in place to to create this early warning system for any strange inputs. And do you think that interventionist approach is, like, right, given where we've come from in an evolutionary sense? Yes. Like, how do you um, reconcile that, I guess? Uh, what the, what do we interfere with, you know, something like that and prevent? Well, um, or well, do we just let it all happen? <laughs> well, well, you know, it may not be possible, ultimately, <laughs> you know, if there's a, a, a life-bearing planetoid or bolide or huge comet coming directly at earth and you know atom bomb may not be able to deviate it so then you know we've just we've just got to say our last hail mary <laughs> but look you know that's like that could happen in the next few million years but the the point about the um the point about you know the diseases from space and trying to predict any huge serious pandemic it's self-interest yeah. it's, it's not deviating uh, evolutionary paths at all it's self-interest if we could have an early warning system in place and, and over time over the next few decades we learn how to really monitor that and react to it properly 
And mm. the technology and biotechnology now in the, in the biomedical world is moving on at such a pace. All of this is, you know, well, I'll, I'll use a common garden term. It'll be a, it'll be a cakewalk. It's, it's a piece of cake, to, <laughs> you know, to do to do that. Yeah. Because we have all of that. We have all the technology, and we have the infrastructure with, through our satellite network already up there, and one or two space stations. So, so I, I think that I think I'm, I'm optimistic about that. Cool. I'm not optimistic about you know the big the really big one you know the, the planetoid comet or bolide that uh, there's nothing on the horizon that we can see at the moment but that that's the dangerous one because they're the ones that have caused the huge diversionary changes in the evolution of life on Earth hmm. each um, each one of them there's been about four or five of them you know really big ones yeah. the, the Cambrian was the biggest one as well as causing a lot of the species to go extinct it introduced a whole new set which flourished. And Ted, on that note, I'm really sorry. I wish we had a one-hour show, but we are going to have to wrap up because uh, Sally's in next with um, Out of the Pan. Um, okay. Ted, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Donna really Matthew, appreciate thank it. Thank you very much getting getting in contact with me. That's no great. Worries. Thanks, and Ted. Good luck with the publication of the article, and we'll share that with listeners when it when it. Um, comes out of press. Well, it's, it's actually out now, I think. Oh, out now. Well, 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 you, well, you're right. It could still be in press. That's the, that's the trouble with science. It takes a few months for this. <laughs> okay, look, thanks very much again. Yep. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. bye, Ted. Thanks, Ted. at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Thanks for listening to Out of the Blue. Um, you're on 855 AM 3CR. Here's Sally with Out of the Pan. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 